We've been talking about sanctification by faith, or more accurately, how to stop sinning. In order to stop sinning, you must believe something that is outside your experience. Something not that you want to make happen, but you believe something that's already happened. So that your sanctification, your deliverance from sin is not based on a history of you working something out, but on a history that Christ has already worked out and into you and for you and to you on your behalf. So that sanctification is believing God, not doing something for him. And in preparation for coming to that, we've got to correct your views on faith because most of us have a concept that faith is some sort of a unction or a power some sort of a a miracle inducing gift that we release in order to get something special happening turn to Hebrews 10 35 for you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now, notice the word substance there. He said, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. In other words, they gave or dedicated their money to the missionary. He said, now you did that. You, you gave your money. Because you knew that you had something, a substance that was enduring. He's talking about heaven. Cast not away therefore your confidence, that is in a better reward, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. It's the promise of substance in afterlife that he's talking about. It's the promise of the substance of heaven itself. He said, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He's speaking about a substance that is to come. The substance of heaven. Deliverance from this body of sin. Transportation into the very presence of God. He said, you have a substance. And he said, the just shall live in this life by faith. But if any man draws back from this faith, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Similar to the statement that without faith, it's impossible to please him in the next chapter. We read that just to give us a running start to chapter 11. And then he says, 11.1, faith is the substance. So there's that word again that we just read. You have in heaven a more enduring substance. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. We're going to look at hope in a minute. But hope are those things that we look for, anticipate, and expect by faith. Hope is the object of faith. Hope is the, the realization of faith at some point. The Bible speaks of Christ coming as the blessed hope when we are transported into God's presence and receive our glorified bodies. So he says, you have this enduring substance in heaven, this hope in heaven, 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, that future anticipation. Faith is the substance of that thing hoped for. Right now, we don't see what we hope for. We don't see it. All we've got is faith. That's all we have. But he said faith right now is the substance of that thing that is hoped for. What I have now, I don't have heaven's golden streets. I don't have Christ sitting on the throne before me. But I have the substance of faith which was planted in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So the faith itself is a gift of the Spirit, a down payment, a testimony of the presence of God in my inner being. Faith is my experience of God right now in anticipation of the fulfillment of that faith in the hope that will one day be realized. Now this ties together beautifully when you follow it in its context. Often the Bible does this. It says something twice, slightly different, together, and creates a parallel. One, two, three, and it comes back and it uses different words. One, two, three. And so you can take that subject, verb, and modifier and lay the two phrases over the top of each other. And the two together tells us many times more than either phrase by itself. It's a parallel construction here. Now let's read it this way. Faith is the substance and evidence of things hoped for but not seen. Substance and evidence are parallel. Things hoped for and things not seen are parallel. Faith is the substance and evidence of things hoped for but not seen. Now that is going to be expanded in the rest of this chapter. For by it, faith, by it, the elders obtained a good report. Faith was the hand by which they obtained not the thing they hoped for. They never saw that. They didn't realize that. But they obtained a good report while hoping for that which they never saw. So though faith didn't realize the hoped for goal in the present life, faith did do something. Faith did lay hold of something. One of the things, the first thing, is faith laid hold of a good report. And that good report is, first of all, a good report with God, which we're going to see. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report, but not the object of the faith. Verse 3, through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. He's gone back to the very origins, Genesis 1. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, this is a very key passage that we'll need in sanctification later on. Through faith, not sight, not scientists for special creation, not all of the evidence that comes forth out of study of biology or history or archaeology, but through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, I believe God spoke and the worlds came into existence. So he says, so that things which are seen, that is the worlds, the tangible physical creation, were not made of things which do appear. Now this is a revelation 
of all that's to follow about faith and sanctification. In other words, God spoke into darkness and into nothingness. And out of darkness and nothingness came forth something in light. So that we believe that God created something out of nothing. Do you believe that? That God created something out of nothing. Then when we come to sanctification, we've got to believe that God creates something out of nothing. When we go to justification, don't we believe God creates something out of nothing? I mean, where did I get this righteousness? I sure didn't earn it. I sure didn't make it. I sure didn't live it. But out of God himself came forth creation, did it not? Out of the being of God through his speaking came forth things that were unseen. They became seen suddenly. And so out of the word of God and the speaking of God will come forth justification and sanctification out of nothing is going to come forth something. Deliverance from sin. That's faith. Faith is believing in the creation of something by the word of God. Now I don't run out and say, all right, God created the world, so I'm going to run out and create something. And put it in there with his. Help him out some way. What did Adam do on the first day of his creation? All day long. He rested from the work. He was created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, God rested. Adam rested with God. Who did all the work? God did. And Adam rested in it and from it. And it was complete and he had nothing to add to it. All he had to do was enjoy it and live in it. How? By faith. You see, God said, Adam, here's the tree. Don't eat this one. Do eat that one. And Adam had to live by faith in God's presence. It's when he stopped living by faith, started living by sight, touch, taste, feel, and smell, that he fell away from God and brought the world into sin. It's when you and I stop walking and living by faith and start looking for tangible proof or trying to create the facts on the ground that we stop being sanctified and start doing our own righteousness, going about to obtain their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, which righteousness is by faith. Now, I'm going to turn to Romans 8.19 for a minute. Romans 8.19 through 26. And let's look at this thing of hope, what the Bible says about it. Faith, hope, and patience are all part of this. Faith, hope, and patience. Romans 8, 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature. He's talking about animals. Talking about my dog. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. He said, my dog is waiting on me to get glorified. He said, that possum out there on the road is waiting on me to get glorified. For the creature was made subject to vanity. The animals was reduced to pretty much a vain existence. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. He didn't will to be made subject to vanity, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. God subjected the animal against his will. God subjected the animal to a state of vanity without the animal choosing anything. The animals didn't choose to disobey God. They didn't choose to walk contrary to God. 
but they shared the curse on the human race. The whole earth shared the curse that came on the earth as a result of what Adam did. Not willingly, not because they willed anything, made a wrong choice. But he said, God subjected them to that. God subjected my dog to the curse that came on Adam because of something God had in mind in the future. You see, God saw a day when the animal creation would be exalted to a plane higher than it existed in the Garden of Eden. God saw a day when the animal creation would not be in a world that is tangible and carnal and mortal, but he saw a day when the animal creation would be exalted into a glorified state. So he subjected the animal creation to that so that as they shared our plight of being under the curse, the animal creation will one day share our glory when we're exalted to share the glory of God in eternity. So he subjected the animal creation because of the hope. See the word hope in the passage? Because of the hope. That is that thing that we anticipate in the future. Read on. Subjected the same in hope because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the animals step down into the mud with us, not so they will rise back up to road level, but so when we get our wings, they'll get theirs as well. So the animals descended into the mire, not so they could just be clean as they were before, but so they could be glorified and be about the throne of God and enjoy the presence of God when we are exalted. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. Here's the key passage, 24. Now keep in context what we just read, that we're waiting, we're groaning, we're anticipating this deliverance. Remember that? Okay, now read verse 24. For we are saved by hope. Hope is this groaning anticipation of ultimate deliverance. That's the hope. Hope is this assurance of one day being transformed. That's the hope. But we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. This is the most important passage. It tells us what hope is. Hope is an unseen reality based on the promise of God. That's all. What have we got to go on that we're going to be glorified? The word of God. Have we ever seen it? Never. What have we got to go on that creation itself is going to be transformed into glorious liberty of the sons of God? Nothing but the word of God. We have nothing but God speaking it. Do we believe it? Yes. Do we hope in it? Do we anticipate it? Yes. You see, he said the creation groaneth and travaileth to be transformed. That means that the minnows in Cane Creek down here, which I can see as I look out the window, are groaning and travailing, saying, I'll sure be glad when I don't have to s swim around downstream from Hughes Pasture, where the cows are always dumping it. I'll sure be glad when I get transformed, I get to swim in that river of life that flows out from the throne. Amen. You see, they're groaning to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. We're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. What did he yet hope for it? He said, if you could actually see it 
there wouldn't be hope any longer. I mean, if, if it's a reality, if you're, if you're hoping for your first car, young people, and your daddy promised you he'd buy you one when you turn 24. And so you're hoping for your first car. It's going to be a brand new spanking $300 one. And you just, you can't wait to get it so you can put a motor in it so it'll run, you know. And you've got this great hope that you're going to get your first car when you turn 24. Uh, so you can put a motor in it and it'll run. And the 24th birthday comes and there it is. And it's delivered. Now there's no more hope. Now you've got it. Now you've got the reality. But until you see it, until it's delivered, all you've got is a hope, a promise, a hope. That's what we're living in. He said, hope that is seen is not hope. Verse 25. This is good. But if we hope for that we see not, if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Patience is key word too. We'll study later. Then do we with patience wait for it. In other words, now let's go back. God's deliberate, foreordained, plan for humanity is that we should live a period of time just as creation in a place to where our reality is a faith reality based on a hope that we don't see. God has ordained that it is good for us that is necessary for our soul's development to live in a hostile world with a body that's contrary to our spirits. With our strongest reality, the spoken word of God, spoken about things not seen. And yet we believe and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory and live in patience, waiting for the fulfillment of the promise and the development of that hope into reality. Why? Because by that faith, the elders obtained a good report. Because by that faith, things happened in their hearts and in their souls that transformed them and brought them into this preparation for the fulfillment of that hope. Are you following me? In other words... It's not unfortunate that we live in a world where we can't see God. It's not unfortunate that we live in a world where we've, no one's gotten to go to heaven and come back and tell us what it's like. It's not unfortunate that there's sickness and persecution and disease. It's not unfortunate. It's not unfortunate that you have a body that lusteth envy. It's not unfortunate. That the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other. It's not unfortunate that Satan is here tempting us. It's not unfortunate that we have to live here for 40 or 50 years before we finally get to see heaven. It's not unfortunate. It's all essential and necessary and wonderful. And God's perfect plan that you should have to live and develop patience to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. It's God's ideal program to bring us to perfection. And everything God does in our life is going to have to be based on faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. If God were to turn over to us a catalog 
of principles. Principles that were scientific truths inherent within either physical nature or the human soul. In other words, psychological realities. If God were to turn over to us some principles, that all we had to do was to discover the truth of those principles and understand what we had to do to make them work. And all we had to do then was to adhere so as to focus our mind through concentration or meditation or prayer. All we had to do was to uh, dedicate ourselves, our will, or so, so that we walked after or followed after these great truths. And then we unfolded the blessings of those principles that are in our soul or in our spirit. We wouldn't need God. And we wouldn't have to walk by faith. All we'd have to do is be wise. And committed. And meditate. And focus. And with that, we'd be able to get a hold of these principles and make them work. And we'd experience a transformation in our character. And we would slowly be changed from one principle to one principle to another principle. And yet the Bible says it's from faith to faith. Not from principle to faith or faith to principles. Our reality is from faith to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith. These all died in faith, not having seen the fulfillment of their promise. Having seen them afar off, but were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Are you following me? Do you see why we're going into this area of what faith is? All right, let's go on. This is good. I like this. One more verse. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written afore, aforetime in the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through, listen to this, patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Amen. These passages here in Hebrews 11, describing all the patriarchs of the faith, all these, this is given to us so that we through faith and patience might have hope. God wants to develop hope in you. Now, back to Hebrews 11, verse 4. Now, as he goes through Hebrews, he starts with creation and takes us through every step of the faith. Look at it. We just dealt with the nature of faith in these first three verses. Didn't we? We dealt with the nature of faith and hope, right? Now he's going to talk about justification by faith. Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. In other words, that's what justification by faith is, is offering the right sacrifice, right? By faith, the right sacrifice. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness. That's all he got was a witness. That he was righteous, God testifying, God testifying of his gifts and being dead yet speaketh. Now, we talk about a raptured by faith in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated. How are we going to get raptured? By faith. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What did Abel achieve by faith? He achieved a witness that he was righteous. What did Enoch achieve? 
He achieved a testimony from God that he pleased God. So none of them saw the reality, but they got a witness or a testimony from God. God was pleased with them through faith. God was pleased with them. Verse 5 again. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. For, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's what these two people did here. Abel and Enoch. They pleased God by faith. A satisfactory sacrifice. And one of them was raptured. Because he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he said, without faith, I want to tell you, it's impossible to please God. Now, folks, that's true with the angels in heaven. They have to live by faith. You said, but they get to see God. Didn't some of them sin because they stopped having faith in God? Didn't Lucifer stop having faith in the goodness of God, in God's good intent toward him, in God's good will toward him? Didn't he think he could create a better life for himself? a better fulfillment of his person, his being? Didn't he believe he could exalt himself that God had not provided him the best? He stopped having faith in God. See, just because you see God doesn't mean you don't have to have faith. All interpersonal relationships have to be based on faith. And it's faith that gives breadth and depth to a, a relationship. And without faith, there is no relationship. The thing that gives meaning to our love and our trust and our commitment to one another and our fulfillment of responsibility and duty to each other and to society is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God. Not because we're in a broken state and faith is the temporary tool to get us back into connection with God, but because faith is the essence of the ideal human and divine relationship. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For they to come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, that faith must look to God as the source. Hear me now. The faith must look to God as the source of reward and of fulfillment and of blessing. Now, let me take you to Habakkuk 2.4. He says, Behold, the soul which is lifted up. Now, that's the opposite of faith. If you look at the context, that's the opposite of faith. That's putting forward one's own soul. In other words, he said, the soul that's lifted up, that's the person who promotes his soul, who says, I'm going to sanctify my soul. I'm going to purify my soul. I'm going to give attention to getting this soul right, this mind, will, and emotions. Watch my knee taught that. So I'm going to, I'm going to die to self, and my soul is going to develop and grow. Listen to what he says. He says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Comes out of the Old Testament. God says, I am not interested in you developing your soul, your soulish powers. What I want to see is you walking by faith. I'm not interested in your mind, your will, and your emotions getting perfected and polished and under control and under discipline. What I want to see is a walk by faith. And this passage is so important that it's quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 1.17, listen to this. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, 
the just shall live by faith. Now he's not saying you get justified by exercising faith. He is taking this passage from the Old Testament and expressing to the Jews in the book of Romans that this method of approaching God through faith is superior to the method of approaching God through the law. Because God revealed it was from faith to faith. And then he quotes said, for instance, don't you remember God said the just should live by faith, not by their soul. And that's what God expects the just to live by faith. Galatians 3.11. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God as it is evident. For, quote, the just shall live by faith. So he's saying again, look, the law that is, obedience to God cannot please God, won't justify you. The law will not please God and justify you because in the Old Testament, it's already told us the just live by faith. They don't live by the law. Faith is the context in which we live, not law. And then verse 12 of Galatians 3 says, for the law is not of faith. In other words, he's characterizing the law as compared to the promise in the spirit. He said clearly, you cannot please God by the law because there's no faith in the law. The law does not put you in a place of faith. It simply says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You do that, you please God, you don't, you get put to death. No faith there. It simply says, thou shall not commit adultery. You don't do it, you do do it, you're under the death sentence. He said there's no faith in the law. It's something tangible. It's something you can see. It's something you can do today. And he said you cannot be justified by it because there's no faith in it. And God will only justify through a walk of faith because that's the heart and soul of where he wants to take us. Faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, he quotes the same passage again. Now the just shall live by faith. We read that while ago, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Why? Because God only takes pleasure in the walk of faith. Now, to verse 7 in Hebrews 11. Now he's going to talk about faith produces something. It produces fear and righteousness. Faith in things not seen. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Do you remember the definition of hope? You hope for that which you see not. If you see it, you can't hope for it, right? And God is seeking hope and faith. He says, but Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. We're going to see that all through this chapter. That God arranges circumstances so you don't see it. God could have given Noah a demonstration of rain and a little mini flood. It scared him to death. Drove him clean up on a mountainside where he was climbing the last tree and said, okay, Noah, now go down and build a boat. 120 years from now, I'm going to send a real flood. This time it's going to get everybody. And Noah wouldn't have been living by faith. I mean, any fool would have built a boat then. But see, when Noah built a boat, it had never rained out of the sky. And if he had any scientific background, he'd know there wasn't enough water on the face of the earth to flood over the top of all the mountains. But Noah believed God. And God called him righteous. See, God just goes around calling people righteous when they believe him. Why? Because that is the state to which God wants to bring us. And it's honoring to God to believe him. 
It's justifying to God to believe him. It's praise to God to believe him. It is communion of soul with God to believe him. It is a return to the way by which we were designed to relate to God by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. That's what faith did. It scared him. And it ought to. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world. His faith condemned the world. And became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You see, Noah got saved by faith without, without the works. Now, he worked. But he worked because he already believed. He didn't get called righteous by building the boat. He kept his fanny out of the water by building the boat. He got called righteous by believing God and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Verse 8, now he talks about a walk of faith. Faith produces fear and righteousness. It also produces a walk. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should afterward receive for inheritance... Obeyed, went out, there it is again, not knowing whether he went. Here's the necessary elements for Abraham to walk in faith. Number one, God called him to go out into a place he'd never seen. And God called him to go to a place that he would afterward receive for inheritance. He wouldn't even get it when he got there. He was to go to a place that he was to inherit it, but not in his lifetime. Not in his lifetime was he going to inherit it. He was going to have to buy a piece of it to bury his wife in. And he was going to be a stranger in a land that he was told his children would inherit. And Abraham believed God in that which was unseen and never delivered in his lifetime. He believed God and what was the result of that? It says, not knowing where he went, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. And that's good. He sojourned. God could have made all this happen in a couple of days, but Abraham had to sojourn. In the land of promise, as a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. His sons, when they got old enough for him to understand, he said, sons, I want to tell you something. You are heirs of this land you live on. So when they went to play with some of the little local uh, Canaanites, they said, hey, by the way, you know, we, we own all this land around here. Yeah, and your mama... No, really, dude, we, we're heirs of all this. You're living on our land, you know. I mean, we own clean over the ocean, back up here. I mean, just the whole thing. God gave it to us. This is our land. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, you know what they said? They said, we don't really own this land. Oh, son, don't you believe them? You believe God. And they believed God through their father, which was a praise to Abraham that they exercised faith in Abraham, just as Noah's sons were praised to him to exercise faith in what God had said to him. And he says, For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that was a pretty big uh, hope. He was hoping for a city that God built. Abraham would take his sheep, he'd come over the rise, and he'd look down that valley, and he'd look, wait to see, is that the city? No, man built that one. What are you looking for, Abraham? I'm looking for a city God built. Well, Abraham, that's kind of a foolish hope. No, no, that's a certain hope. That's the anchor of my life. Is I am going to a city built by God alone. I like that. 
And everywhere he goes, he testified that he had that hope of a city built by God. You say, but wasn't that naughty of God to make Abraham live in such blindness and expectation and never see it? No, because God was perfecting something in Abraham that was beautiful. That throughout eternity, when Abraham does see the realization, that when he does walk down those golden streets, it will be something that molded his soul his entire life, right up to his death. Now, faith gets results here and now as well, verse 11. Unless you think that it's all in the future, listen to what he says. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. In other words, Sarah, he said, was delivered of child when she was past age. Sarah, who was well too old to bear children, by faith conceived because she judged him faithful who promised. That's where God wanted her to go. That's what God wanted to see in Sarah. He wanted Sarah to judge him God faithful. See, at first she didn't do that. At first she judged Abraham and Hagar Abel. And she tried to go the carnal route. Did that please God? Did God receive her gift of a child to be his heir? Did he adopt her works as his heir? No. He said, cast out the bondwoman with her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And he compared that to the law. Which he said, cast it out. You cannot be saved by it. Because it's not a faith. So God will not accept our methods of sanctification or salvation. He will not accept our efforts in the flesh to fulfill his will. What was Sarah trying to do? She was trying to fulfill the will of God. She was trying to, to produce that seed that had been promised by God in the Garden of Eden. The seed of the woman. And she was trying to fulfill that promise God gave to Abraham that through his loins he would have seed that would be as the sand on the seashore innumerable. And she looked at her own body and she said, it is impossible. There must be another way. God couldn't have meant what he said through Abraham and me because I can't do that. God couldn't mean what he said that I'm free from sin because I can't do that. God couldn't mean what he said that I'm dead and alive unto God because just look at me. I'm still dead in sins. I'm not alive unto God. God couldn't mean what he said, that I've been raised, that I'm alive unto God and free from sin because just look at the reality. And God says, are you going to believe me and hope in me? Or are you going to believe what you say? And what do we do? We get Christian counselors. We get principles. We start walking through our sins, discovering the source of what happened and how we got to this bitterness. And working it out and working through it and talking with someone and having a prayer partner and getting some counsel. And we end up with this sort of modified, packaged, semi-sanctification. And we say to God, see what I've done? With, with your help, of course. And God said, throw it out. <laughs> the son of the bond woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Cast out. Hagar, cast out that child you've produced 
with the methods of modern psychology. Cast out that child you've produced with your endeavor to search out, learn wisdom and prayer and fasting to get your soul in line. Do you know the Muslims pray and fast too? And when one uses prayer and fasting as a method of controlling the flesh, as a method of focusing the mind, it is a human endeavor that is as dead as Adam was in the day he walked out of the garden. Are you seeing it? You see why we're dealing with faith? But you know, Sarah, when she died, she didn't have a multitude. She had one little star. She had one little grain of sand. Verse 13 speaks of the nature of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, whatever they were. That was the things hoped for. These all died in a state of faith. They died in an atmosphere of faith. They died in a life of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and braced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That again is a going back to a restatement of faith. They died in faith, not having seen the fulfillment, but look at their response. They were persuaded, they embraced, and they confessed. That's what God wants us to do today. He wants us to be persuaded that we were crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, died, and were buried with him. He wants us to embrace that. I am a dead man. And confess, I am alive unto God and free from sin. We are confessing the unseen. We're confessing the unexperienced. We're confessing what we cannot do. We're confessing what we are not. We're confessing that what God says is true. And that's all we got. And through faith, we will see these dead bodies, as Sarah's dead body, conceive and bring forth the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not through a slow process, but immediately upon the act of faith. What we will see is that we will subdue kingdoms, shut the mouth of lions, wrought righteousness, and win the victory in the battle, he's going to say in a minute. We're going to see all of that come about because we believe God and have a certain hope and trust him. Justification is by faith and faith alone. Sanctification is by the same faith, a continuation of the same faith, rooted in the same event, Christ's death, 2,000 years ago, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, rooted the same place. This sanctifying faith does not require, hear me now, an additional preparation, additional surrender, or additional work of grace, or an additional unction to believe. It started already when you got saved. And it is as alive in you as it is in the most sanctified saint, dead and parted and gone on to be with the Lord. All you need to do is believe the word of God to walk in that hope and experience the fullness of all that God's had. And that belief is not brought about by you looking inside and getting rid of the things that keep you from believing. That's another dead end 
life of works. That belief is brought about by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God will stir faith in you like when Peter, James and John were walking to the temple. When the lame man was before him and he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Rise up and walk. And the man believed them and he rose up and he walked. That's how quick sanctification takes place. Amen? Amen. This is going to get good if it's not already. It's going to probably take 10 lessons to go through this. And you're going to get it. You're going to understand it. You're going to see it. You don't have to understand it for it to work. God's what works, not your understanding. It's the life of God works in you. It's already working if you don't understand it. In fact, people who disagree with it are still working in them. All right? Let's pray.